Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Haro, and we are keeping score. Busy, busy week. Final Four. Masters. Baseball. European and international soccer. So many stories, so let's get to them. First, the top deal-making issues of the week. Three to one. Number three, the Football Association, FA English National Soccer Body, seeking to rebrand the English Football Association to improve its global image. Outgoing CEO Martin Glenn attempting to dispel a perception of arrogance toward the FA's counterparts in the international game by pursuing a name change that will put England in line with every other association in world soccer. Glenn described the name as the ultimate expression of arrogance. Founded in 1863, the English body has simply been known as the FA for 150 55 years, whereas every other national body in soccer globally also has the relevant national adjective. The game's evolved, and so should its components. Number two, bottom line of the final four for basketball, an event like none other. 100,000 strong descend on Minneapolis with Virginia Tech, with Virginia and Texas Tech left standing. Meanwhile, the Jonas Brothers at the Armory performed in front of 8,000 screaming, bouncing baby boy fans, the March Madness music series. Texas Tech earned its first ever appearance in the national championship game. Lubbock, Texas, not the place to be. If you're a car, you'd get overturned. Let's hope that Saner heads prevail. If Texas Tech claims its first championship, we'll see that. That's not important. What is important is the $300 million of economic impact in Minneapolis. Number one, the Masters. By the numbers, Wallet Hub analyzed the tournament from Tita Green. The personal finance annual website report breaks down everything from ticket and concession prices to the cost of producing each green jacket. About $250, by the way. Among standout numbers, secondary market badge prices this year average about $2,400, ranging from $2,250 on Saturday to $2,600 on Thursday, a 15% increase from the 2018 number and a direct reflection of Tiger Woods' resurgence and elevated position in the field. Estimated revenues to Augusta National from 2017 ticket sales, $35.5 million, while the event's overall economic impact on the Augusta economy, $120 million. Over 250,000 people visit the Augusta area each year for Masters festivities, 350 journalists from around the world also. Who cares about them? Last year's final round Sunday, average viewership, 13 million, up 18% from 2017. The players themselves leave Augusta National, having shared an $11 million purse, the winner pocketing a cool $1.98 million this year. My favorite data, 640%. That's the increase in live telecast hours for the Masters from 1956, two and a half hours, to 2019, 18 and a half hours, and it's getting even better. Watch your TV. It's a major, major weekend. Well, those are the big deal-making minutes and deal-making times, and frankly, somebody who is interesting in the transition between March Madness in Minneapolis to anxious April in Augusta. 
Luke Kovacs, is the global or the CMO for North America for Octagon, has obvious advantages of knowledge and experience in knowing all about activations at Augusta, all about activations at the March Madness, and all about activations worldwide. Interesting perspective, Luke Kovacs. Sports professor Rick Caro inside the boardroom beyond the scoreboard. We are at the confluence of March Madness in Minneapolis, getting into Anxiety April in Augusta. It is that time of year again with two of the biggest events, not only because of ratings, but because CBS dominates, because of activation, because these are two spots where you all want to be and I am, and you're not. But more important than that, it's the example of how industry trends kind of dominate in sports marketing. As we know, it's a trillion-dollar sports business, and one of the largest growth areas is corporate sponsorship broadly defined, and the trends are really important. And none other big expert in the field of activation and marketing, the CMO North America of Octagon, Luke Kovacs. How are you? Doing great, Rick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, obviously, thanks for being here. And we're in Minneapolis together at the back end of the Final Four, heading to Augusta, as we said. And it is an amazing time in the industry to talk about all this. And you've had kind of a broad experience in getting here. Uh, Short but sweet. Tell me your life story. Sure. First, uh, a shout out to the alma mater, Hobart College, Geneva, New York. Statesman? The Statesman. That's right. How's that? Is that good? That's impressive. (laughs) Yeah. First job in the athletic department at the University of Florida, uh, a stint with the Sports Commission for the state of Massachusetts, Um, and now Octagon, 18 years with the company, Um, managed some of our bigger brand client relationships like Bank of America, Sprint, and Sony PlayStation, Uh, have managed some of our business units like creative digital technology and content creation, and today um, I, I have the great responsibility of overseeing the marketing and uh, and new business for our brand consulting and event management businesses. Which is huge in and of itself. So I know there are big companies and uh, the, the world of sports marketing is dominated by a whole host of them. Uh, just one more kind of quick review of kind of your job, the CMO North America job and, and you know, the assets of Octagon. Oh, sure. Um, new, you know, we, we, we have 20 plus um, brand clients who we work with um, on their sponsorship strategy and activation. We've got uh, numerous professional golf events that we run um, on the LPGA Tour, uh, PGA Champions, um, and others, and have diversified those events to include um, culinary events, mu- you know, music events, really a- any type of event. We run 13,000 brand activations a year, so um, multiple events a day uh, across the calendar year that we're involved with. 13,000, yet he's spending a few minutes with me here in Minneapolis and then a few minutes with me in Augusta. So it's either I'm important or those events are important. I suspect it's the latter. <laughs> it's definitely the latter. <laughs> definitely the latter. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This interview is over. Lou has some specific ideas and trends in the sports marketing business. Again, fast growing. So let's talk about a few of those. First idea, kind of the new endemics. Talk a little bit about it. Sure. Um, if you think about the 
types of brands that have historically been involved in sponsorship. We talk. We have talked about that in two ways. One, um, the endemic brands, companies like Gatorade or Nike or um, Spalding or Wilson. You know, they make the stuff that, uh, that that's involved in the in the fabric of the sport, and they so they need to be there to market um, their products and services um, because they're deeply involved in the sports. And then there are traditional brands. You know, companies in financial services, insurance, uh, maybe healthcare, where they're really involved in sport because they want access to the audience. And then there's this new type of endemic that we're seeing um, where it's really the emergence of technology brands who want to be at the same time um, a sponsor of these big sports properties but also a business partner, right? They want to deploy their technology um, and they want to then do storytelling and activation and corporate hospitality around those big events. Technology is the fastest growing, I think, sector that anybody puts their hands on. And yet, in many ways, it's the hardest to explain. Uh, consumers can be easily glazed over by the reasons why one technology company may have a market edge over another, yet it is important to understand it. So hence the activation, the content, the marketing strategy, the media message. So obviously you help in all of that, but that is an important trend. It is for sure, and I think one of the things that brands in the technology space see from sports is that it's a proving ground. Right? It takes, um, there are a few things that require the immediacy or the accuracy that sports require, especially at big time events like the Final Four or certainly um, in Augusta at the Masters. So it's a proving ground and it creates great opportunities for story- storytelling. And if you can sort of prove it in sports, then explaining how that same technology might apply to a health ca- the healthcare industry or the financial services industry is, um, it's great from a storytelling perspective and it's not, it shouldn't be that big of a leap, you know. Um, to convince those other customers. And and from a technology perspective, I know activation is an important part of your mandate from Corporation X. Uh, It used to be easy to slap up a charging station and have a phone company sponsor the charging station, and everybody comes in, they love it because they get their phone recharged. A bit more sophisticated today, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, know, one of the other trends we'll talk about is is personalization. And that's that's an expectation that... um, Consumers and therefore fans have, and so you, I, I, Final Four is a great example. You see some really interesting um, activations. I love the uh, the thing that Uber Eats did after the first round, where they were offering uh, free delivery if your team lost. Right, so very personalized to you as a fan. Um, you know, I think playing to the emotion that those people are going to have. You know, that the, the dis- I'm a little disappointed. Maybe I need some some food quickly here at the house. So I just think that's a that's an interesting uh, example. It's a good profit center for them too, because you know these are people who uh, were willing to kind of jump off the third story balcony, and now they're going to spend money uh, patronizing a restaurant, maybe paying Uber Eats again to deliver down the road. Who knows? Yeah, good idea. Yeah, it's a brilliant. Did you come up with that? I did not. Brilliant, Mark. Marketing strategy. Yeah. <laughs> Second trend, I think, deals with uh, uh, $12 billion a year. I, I know now, out of a $100 billion uh, growing industry, is philanthropy and uh, CSR. Uh, but I know you single that out even higher. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we just see a lot of the brands that we work with, and then just across the industry um, in general, brands really seeking to use the spotlight that their sports and entertainment sponsorships provide them uh, to really 
really uh, highlight some of the good things that they're doing in the corporate social responsibility space. Um, consumers today, particularly uh, the Gen Z consumer, really puts a lot of value in the values that the uh, brands that they want to associate with have. And so, um, you know, you, I, you see it here at the Final Four with Infinity, who has a long-standing relationship with Coaches uh, versus Cancer. They did a great event here yeah. on Friday night, um, Hardwood Heroes. They put on a game featuring um, people who were cancer survivors. So you see things like that. Um, you know, I was just at an event recently, um, the Kaiser Permanente Total Health Forum, um, in, in partnership with the NBA. Now, you know, there's a unique, you know, partnership where a, a healthcare brand and the NBA get together and they put on an event that's all about um, focused on mental health and creating healthier communities. Um, and then you'll you'll see this, I think, continue throughout the the calendar year. Um, I, I admit perhaps we'll be together at the MLB All Star Game in Cleveland, Absolutely. or maybe at the World Series. And you know, um, historically, you see brands like Mastercard do something big around the World Series with Stand Up to Cancer, right. or T-Mobile throughout the entire World World Series do something um, you know big, create a platform to shine a light on how they support the military. Do the corporate leaders do this because they've had? created some newfound connection between ROI and philanthropy? Or are more CEOs just realizing it's the right thing to do? I think it's more the latter um, in that, you know, the root of any good partnership is shared values. And so if you have a shared value with the if you're a brand and you have a shared value with the property that you're working with around a particular charitable endeavor, it's going to reinforce and make the partnership all the you know all the more stronger. If there's if there's some ROI to be had there, I think that's you know that's icing on the cake, so to speak. And of course, the the whole idea of of the government and the C3 and the tax exemptions and all, it's shining a light and a very significant light on how to make sure you get out ahead of all of that as well. Correct. Yeah. Yep. All right. So. Your third piece of this deals with uh, diversity, inclusion, broadly defined as well. Talk about that. I just think, you know, across, whether it's activation or hospitality, we're seeing brands have a real commitment to be um, inclusive, right? Be it the guests that they invite, uh, the hosts that they include in their programs, the talent that they might select to speak, um, or even the theme, you know, or the, the campaign that they create around it. I mean, then on the property side, you know, you, you, you also see this. Um, you know, I, I mentioned some of the work that we do on the LPGA tour, and so there you see companies like Dow, you know, really stepping up and wanting to use the um, a new LPGA event that they're going to have in Midland um, as an opportunity to really um, have a focus on and talk about um, inclusion. And then um, in Indianapolis, you know, Group 1001 in the um, the Indie Women in Tech LPGA Championship is also I think there's a crossover there between inclusion, but then also corporate social responsibility, right? Where that whole event and the platform that they've created there supports the mission of um, Indie Women in Tech, you know, of inspiring women and girls of all ages there to get involved in STEM-related careers. So it's a really nice confluence of sports and CSR and diversity and inclusion. And the uniqueness is really important these days, I would think, because uh, I don't want to minimize it, but but anybody can give it the office to traditional causes. But the real key is to identify some causes that not only move the needle uh, for the CEO and the major cause of the corporation, but to stand out amongst the clutter of a lot of other giving. Right. You know, and it's also 
interesting where you know the the assets that you may get as a uh, as a brand sponsor, whether it be uh, media or whether it be signage. If you're able to use those to, you have a choice. You could say, well, I want to highlight a product. Uh, or a service that we provide, or I want to use that investment to um, to talk more about the charitable work or the the corporate social responsibility work that we're doing, um, and that does appeal, you know, to um, to some of the younger consumers that that brands are after these days. Last and finally, and yep. maybe most important because it does encompass a lot of the other three and everything else, is you said personalization. Talk about it. Well, you know, I mentioned uh, the Uber Eats example, which I love uh, here at the Final Four. You know, you see. Um, AT&T with their, fa- you know, with the uh, fast break digital product that they have, or Intel with some of the virtual reality uh, work that they're doing, and it's really all about, you know, thinking thinking about the fan or the consumer as the the director of programming. You know, somebody who gets to pick and choose what they want to watch, when they want to watch it, what angles they might want to watch it from, which broadcaster do they want to hear it from. You know, and then really, I think learning and borrowing from what people see in the esports and gaming space, embedding the social experience right into the the platform and the engagement um, that fans have. You know, and, and even um, even in a you know more traditional way, someone like Coke who who issues you know specific team branded specific bottles or cans you know throughout the tournament is a is just a is just a play to that whole notion of um, of uh, personalization so you don't want to say gone are the days of the rate card but personalization is almost counter to the you can buy three of these and eight of these and it's going to cost this and that and here's your total yep. uh, we've evolved haven't we yeah we have and you need I mean you still need your base package of assets, but then you need to be very creative about how you're going to, you know, what are you going to do with those assets? What's the activation plan that you're going to create? And who are the, who are the partners that you're going to want to, that you're going to want to work with, you know, um, on the media side, on the social side, and on the technology side? So the bottom line of all of this, you take all of these four, which are very unique trends, uh, not necessarily unique to you, but you thought about all of this, and you sit down with a client or a potential client, and you say, I know this is what you want to accomplish, or tell us what you want to accomplish, and we will tailor a plan around you. That's the way things are done these days, mostly. Yeah, is that right? yeah yes. Um, we advise clients to go into, uh, to start with what, it, what are the objectives, even before you buy, even before you decide what it is that you want to buy. What are the objectives, so then what's the best uh, property to form a relationship with, and then what's the best activation plan to create around it. Were you the one that told Zion Williamson to blow out his shoe to get a better sneaker deal? <laughs> yeah, I was not. No, you were not. So far, you're over two, but yes. these are two really, really good ideas. Yeah. Where is it? Final question for you, maybe the hardest one to ask. Five years from now, broadly defined, where is the sports marketing business as it relates to corporations? Oh, I think it's um, as as the you know consumer mindset and landscape continues to evolve. Brands are going to flock to places where that capture people's attention, and there's nothing better, you know, than sports and entertainment. So I think there will be continued growth in that area. But you're also going to have to be very smart about the um, the partners that you choose and how you, you know, the channels that you um, you distribute your message. Ladies and gentlemen, we all understand now that sports has been viewed as the the last remaining real-time appointment TV and safe there. And folks like Lou Kovacs and their creative thinking will preserve, protect, and package those opportunities for corporate America and corporate world. Good to have you here, CMO Octagon North America. Lou Kovacs, thank you very much. Thank you, Rick. Great to be with you.
who has his four pillars, and it's good just to hear about what the economics of the sports business are like today and in the future. Let's go to the top tech issues, three to one, our Sports Tech Minute. Number three, first, MLB, cutting back its Facebook streaming deal to just six games for 2019. Sports Pro says the agreement marks a significant drop from last year. Facebook get the rights to stream 25 games exclusively on its watch platform in the U.S. One reason that baseball may be scaling back its Facebook commitments, likely to do with their new deal with Twitter and the potential future endeavors in the eSport sector. Number two, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith's Westbrook Studios collaborating with Formula One. Pre-filmed stunts and challenges, including Will Smith's Bucket List, which premiered on Facebook Watch. The episode saw Smith and his son compete in a winner-take-all one-on-one race at the Yas Marina Circuit in Abu Dhabi with the five-time Formula One world champion Lewis Hamilton. The collaboration will help Westbrook Studios and the Smiths expand their growing online presence while expanding the boundaries of traditional Formula One and obviously lowering the demographic. And finally, number one, of course, eSport. Drake, involved in the Players' Lounge, raising $3 million following a seed funding round. RRE, uh, Macro Ventures, Comcast, Marissa Mayer, the former Yahoo chief executive, and the Take-Two Interactive chief executive, Strauss Zelnick, all involved. The company primarily runs low-stake competitions and hosts 350 million players over the age of 18 who earn millions of dollars each month. And it seems sports betting banned lift by the Supreme Court last May may have also helped eSports, with one of the most recognizable names in the world now investing his money into eSport betting. That is the Tech Minute. Finally, the Power of Sports Minute. A lot of big issues this week, and they're all focused somehow on Boston. David Ortiz shares his perspective with the Red Sox CEO and team president Sam Kennedy. He shaved his head, Ortiz shaved his head. The company, according to Saving by Shaving and Granite Telecommunications, $21 million for cancer research through the event over the last five years, donations to Saving for Shaving, benefiting Boston Children's Hospital. By using the icons of Boston sports, the New England community has been able to come together in a battle against cancer. And then finally, uh, there are issues in Boston. Our April Power of Sports episode has been involved in Boston. Boston versus Bullies makes a difference in New England. The anti-bullying initiative presented by the Sports Museum and the Boston Sports Community stands strong against bullying. According to the Sports Museum, the award-winning educational program leverages the power and example of Boston sports to help stop bullying in schools and the community and has enlisted such stars as Ali Raisman, Patrick Chung, Terry Rozier, Mookie Betts to help spread their message. Boston versus Bullies is a proven program that lowers peer victimization and its curriculum teaches all about aspects of the bullying, including the bystander, the victim, cyberbullying, and inclusion of kids with disabilities. And finally, on our Power Sports episode in Boston, Lindos Suenos and the Celtics rookie flight crew curriculum help make dreams happen. Strives to bring people from different backgrounds together through the common appeal of baseball and community service. 
on the back of generous donations from JetBlue and a philanthropist, Lindos Suenos, was created in 2004 and sends 10 American teenage boys to the Dominican Republic every summer. The four-week STEM program designed to teach students the science of aeronautics while learning how to build a fully functioning model airplane, by the way. This Power of Sports episode uses baseball and basketball as common ground to inspire students about their future. Please do us all a favor and watch it. It certainly changed a little bit of my perspective on Boston sports. Here's another perspective, Boston Strong, not only on the field of play, but off it as well. That's the Power of Sport Minute. Well, that's our podcast for today. We'd like to thank all of you who are listening and watching. And once again, join us next week for another edition of Keeping Score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.